0: Welcome to the p for c Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you this year's teaching, Through God's Word, at Passion for Christ Summit. The p for c Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. This year's theme for p for c 2022 is Seeking, Looking to Jesus. We now join Daniel Kavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. So who among us does not like a good
1: story. Is there anyone here that doesn't like a good story? I'm curious. No one? We all like good stories, right? We all like to hear a good story, especially as a good ending, right? I'm a little weird. Sometimes I like stories that kind of end weird, and you're left thinking, and people are like, why do you want that? I'm weird. Sorry. I like to kind of have a little different, but I like good endings, too. I like when the good guy wins, the bad guy loses. Maybe it was your grandpa's stories that he has told over and over again. (laughs) There is always that one guy or gal in the group who just knows how to tell a good story and most of the time they can make it really funny. Um, Since we've talked about our family and dad's talked about us, uh, that would be my brother. If he shows up, the story will be funny. It will be good. As much as we as human beings like to be entertained, I think one of the main reasons we like to watch a good movie or read a good book is because we are captivated and compelled by good stories. Stories move us and they they even motivate us. They remind us of who we are and where we had come from. They tell us about things we've never seen or heard of, and most of all, we really like a story when it's true to life, really. I mean, if it's true, there's something real about it and and has depth. Movies often lead with based upon a true story or uh, based upon real events. The Bible itself is the story of God's plan of redemption and how he will and has glorified himself. We love stories and we listen to people tell them, especially if they're good. In our text tonight, the apostle John calls to remembrance a story that he lived. It's a true story. It's a story that he heard, he saw, he touched with his own hands. He was there. It is the story of the very words of life itself. And because he experienced the story as he did, he now has the authority to speak to the veracity, and yes, I just used a a different word, but to the accuracy of the story. This story is true, and it has massive implications for our lives, more than any any other story you've ever heard or will ever hear. It is a story that holds the essence of life, and genuine fellowship with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And it is a story that will bring great joy to all who embrace it. It is a story that connects all who love Christ in beautiful, harmonious fellowship with one another. It is a story that has a message we need to remember tonight. It is a story that John is telling to the believers at Asia Minor within the text, and it's a story for you, for me, for all of us. We need to know it, we need to embrace it, we need to live it, and we need to confess it. It is our life that we must be living, and if not, my hope and my prayer is that this story will so convict that you will go from here living it. So let's read again the text. I know it's been some time back and my brother read through the text for tonight, so let's read it again. And and though most of this section we will read is not what our focus will be tonight, I believe it sets the stage to understand what we're gonna be looking at. So let's go to 1 John uh, 1 through 5 and, and in the first verse of 2. So let's read that together. It says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message. This is the story. We If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things, things to you so that you may not sin, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And God's people said, amen. There are three things that I want us to see in our text tonight. And yes, I learned that I must do three from my dad. So hey, I'm going to do three myself. But three things we want to look at tonight. The message remembered, the means given, and the miracle Accepted. So let's look at the first thing here. The message remembered. John is calling to remembrance all that he had heard while walking with Christ here on earth. He saw it. He touched it. He wants us to know it's based upon his eyewitness testimony. He knew what he was talking about. And what a magn- what a significant thing, I should say, is that before John talks about God as love or anything else that he defines the one message we cannot fail to understand. He defines God. Very simply, very shortly, if I might use that, and he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The case for obedience and confession, which is our focus tonight, is based in the truth and reality of God's light. God is utter than us. He is set apart in all of his ways. And so the first thing as we look at this idea of the message that John is remembering, that God is light and in him is no darkness, is we see the, the theology we need to know. And, and when I use that word theology, just, it just simply means the study of God, what we need to know about God. God. In order to build the case for a life of confession, in the Christian life, we must build the case for God both in our mind and hearts. And as we look at, the, at Christian confession in just a moment, we must understand that we will not confess our sin if we do not first see that God is other than us. He demands confession because he determines He is the standard because he is God and there is no one like him. He alone holds or owns the right to demand from us. And so why is that? I mean, is he just some God who who wants to, to be the guy? Why is that? Well, in a few short words, God is light. John simply yet profoundly defines God and builds a theological thesis before he gives us practical application. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. This word light is used to speak to the nature of God. God is the essence of all that is and all that we are not. Vines, a commentator that I was reading, said this. I thought it was so good, just real simple. He says, it's not merely, or he is not merely the light, nor a light, he is light. This concept can, cannot be reduced to picking up a flashlight and turning it on or, or putting in a, a light bulb, even though we have lots of them here. When it goes out, the light of God is All-encompassing. And and the best way we can attempt to describe it here on earth is is to liken it to the light of day, which is all-encompassing to the earth. But even that is feeble. But it is this idea that it is all-encompassing. He is the primary cause, the beginning and the end. He is holy and set apart. He is righteous and has no darkness. Understanding that God is light is the basis for life in Christ and the fellowship we can know with one another. So there's not only the theology that we must know that our understanding of God, that God is light, but then there's the truth that we must embrace as believers. If we were to take the time to read through the entire book of of 1 John, we would see that the three main concepts that the apostle John attributes to God is that he is life, Light and love. We have life through God the Father as believers and we know this light because of his great love, but the light of God, who he is, is the reason we can have fellowship with the divine. If God doesn't reveal himself to us, then we just simply don't know him. Without the light of God, We have no knowledge of the depth of our darkness. If God is not other than us, then what is the point of his life and love? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we do see, or we see light, John in his own gospel that he wrote drives home this revealing nature of God's light and its basis of fellowship with God in the gospel in John 3, 19 through 21. Let's turn there. Let's look at that together. John three nineteen through 21. I want to read that together. And I'll read it for us here. John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. John keeps the message simple. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, we lie. This is the basis of all that we know to be true about God. This is the basis of fellowship with God. We are sinful, he is not. In us is darkness, in him is no darkness at all. He is wholly set apart. We are unholy and unrighteous in all our ways. Curtis Vaughn puts it this way. The closer we are to the light of God, the more conscious we are of our uncleanness and unworthiness. To illustrate this, I was trying to think of, okay, how do we put our minds around this? How do we embrace it and kind of grab a hold of this? And a a thing that happens in my life pretty much every day came to my mind. So on the back patio of our house, I have strung these Edison lights, and they have to be plugged in to work, right? So usually by the time I get out to plug those lights up, it's dark. And my wife has bought this big plant, It comes flowing down over the plug and I I never can find the plug. I'm like fumbling around in the darkness. Finally, I reach out and grab my phone and turn the light on. I push it aside and I'm looking and finally I can get the plug in and I can see clearly the light reveals what I could not see. We cannot see who we really are until the light of God shines upon our hearts and reveals the other depth of our need of him. And as we are going to look further at what confession is, we will not be able to see our sin for what it really is until we understand who God is. You cannot agree with God about your sin unless you know the God who reveals what sin is. You cannot have fellowship with God until you know God. And, and just as a side here, we'll see this more toward the end, but the light of God is revealed through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see that in first Cor- or 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The knowledge of God in the person of Christ, God's son, is how we come to know the light of God. As one commentator put it, there was nothing whatever of the Godhead that was not in Christ, The full complement of divine attribute is to be found in him, Christ. So, this is the message that John remembers that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the basis. We must must know it, we must embrace it. But, number two, there is the means given. How do we do this? The light of God reveals a glaring problem we have, and it's, it's sin. And the only way to peel back the darkness of our sin is truth. And John just simply peels, simply peels back the layers and reveals the depths of our deception once he makes this very strong and simple statement. And so there is the truth we need versus the lie we believe what does he say? Let's look, at, let's look at what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice the, the parallel thoughts that John has given us here. We lie do not practice the truth. We deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. We have not sinned, his word is not in us. John uses this simple style of writing to drive home the point and to emphasize the point. You are a sinner. Sorry, bad news, but that's what it is. If you do not see you are a sinner, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. I mean, if somebody comes up to you and says, you're a liar, and you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not a liar. No, you're a liar. But God comes up and says, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. As one commentator put, he said, such liars are doubly in trouble. Guilty before God objectively because we don't know who God is and we've sinned against him and sinning again by being oblivious to the fact that we are sinning. If we're not willing to admit that we are sinners, we are, for all extensive purposes, practical heretics. We are denying a very foundational truth of God regarding the state of mankind, of us, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And not only are we lying and deceiving ourselves, but we have made ourselves willfully oblivious to the truth of what God says about our sin. When it comes to the deception and the lies in these verses, the implication is, is that we lead ourselves into the sin that we commit. And we have done so willfully, We, you and I, we bear the responsibility for that. By way of just note here, it's it's a little bit comical, but yet it makes a good point. It says, uh, uh, and, and I love this. I was reading this. I love what the Russian novelist Ivan Turgenev says. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. But is walking in darkness always so obvious? I mean, you're like, you know, the, the picture you're painting right now, whew, I'm, I'm awful. Yeah, you are. But is it always that obvious? Like, is it always that, that contrast always there? It's something I was wrestling with as I was looking at this passage and I'm like, sometimes it can be a little bit more deceptive. And I think we see John speaking to this deception, And think about the phrase that we often hear or maybe even use or think in regards to our sin or to other people. And we say, well, none of us are perfect. I mean, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, none of us are perfect. And that's true. Sometimes we do make mistakes and there's an understanding there. But think about that phrase. Is that just making an excuse for the fact that we're not perfect? Or is it realizing really what we are? Maybe you have your own phrase or you make your own excuses. I don't know. I'll I'll leave that to your conscience. Maybe you have your own way of justifying your sin. But look at what John says about this. Again, notice the, the corresponding thoughts that drive home the truth, this parallel thoughts that he's bringing together. He says, if we say, we lie. If we walk, meaning our way of life in darkness, our depravity, The truth is not in us. If we say we deceive ourselves, we have not sinned. The truth is not in us. It doesn't matter if you have a hint of self-righteousness or if you have overtly or blatantly sinned. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the deception of sin that we are really not that bad. Think about for me in the the Old Testament, uh, you may remember Uzzah who stayed the ark. He stayed the ark. So if you're familiar with the story, the commandment was to never touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so they are moving the Ark of the Covenant and as they're moving the Ark of the Covenant, something happens and the cart, I guess the ox, one of the ox stumbled and the cart starts to fall and so does the Ark of the Covenant. And Uzzah reaches out and puts his hand on the Ark to stay it and he, boom, he's hit. Dies immediately. Well, the problem was that God had commanded his people, do not touch the Ark because the symbol of the Ark was the presence of God among them. God is light. The problem with us is that he assumed, and I heard this from someone else, I cannot take credit for this, but he assumed that his hand was more clean than the ground that he was walking on. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Christ himself expounds upon this. I think this is good because And in the gospels, he peels back the deception in our hearts, I think very well. And he's speaking to the Pharisees and addressing their self-righteousness. And what does he say? Adultery, just a look. Murder, hatred and anger. Stealing, coveting. You have said of old time, thou shalt not, but I say, said, thou shall not commit adultery, but whoever looketh on the woman to lust of her has already committed adultery in his heart. Now again, it's not the same as actually doing the act. I'm not saying don't go murder somebody <laughs> or commit adultery, but in our heart, it is the same. In other words, it's not just the act of stealing, it's the heart of a thief. It's not just the physical act of committing adultery, it is having the same desire as the adulterer. Murder is not just an act although it is, it's the issue of the heart that begins with hate and anger. And and I would just pause here for a moment by way of application. Our text doesn't speak directly to the word of God, meaning the Bible, although I think the implication is there. But I would encourage you, dig into the word. Let God's truth peel back the layers of sin in our hearts. Fill yourself with the truth of God surround yourself with people and leaders who fill you with truth. Put people in your life who will hold you accountable to the truth. I was sitting at the table and there's three guys I am sitting with and they kind of all live far from each other but they come together and, and they study the word of God together. That it my heart. Put yourself in a local church that will preach and teach the truth faithfully, week in and week out. Saturate yourself with the truth. By way of application, this is how you can know the difference between the lie and the light. But as we continue, what is the worst thing about our deception? John gives a sobering gut check here. As I read this, I was like, ooh, I started realizing the implications of this. He says, if we say we have not sinned, what? We make him... God, a liar. What? How? God's not a liar. In him is light and there is no darkness. Like, where's the lying? These are strong words. To say we have not sinned in any way is to deny the very nature of who God is and what he says about our sin. To say we have not sinned overtly or covertly is to mar God's character before others and cheapen the very redemptive work of his son in our lives. We are denying the very reality of the nature of man and saying, God, you're a liar. I wasn't that bad. I'm not that bad. Ah, None of us are perfect. just to know that we are sinners is not enough. As John sheds light upon our self-deception, he mentions the idea of practicing the truth. If sin is the opposite of practicing the truth, then how do we practice the truth? And that word there is, is in the present tense. So what are we currently doing right now? This is where we get to the meat. And so we saw the We saw the truth we need versus the lie we believe, but now the confession we need and the fellowship we receive. It is not all doom and gloom, brothers and sisters. There is hope. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we have already seen, the contrast between God's light and our darkness is super clear. There is no darkness in God, and we must walk in light. But where does confession come in all of this? If we need it, what does it mean? This word confession, let's let's just look at that word confession for a moment. It simply means to agree with. It carries a depth of agreeing that comes from an inward conviction, willing to admit openly and speak freely that we are sinners and we have sinned against God. Do we agree with God's view of us? Christian confession sets our heart right. It aligns our thinking, viewpoint, and perspective with God's truth. It is literally the process of seeing and agreeing with God. It can restore and renew and will grow our fellowship with him and our fellow man. It's not mechanical, it's a matter of the heart. It's an outflow of the saturation of God's truth in us, in understanding who we are in the light of God. As we've already seen, in order to agree with God about our sin, we must know that a God who establishes all things. Confession is the understanding and reality of realigning our hearts and minds with the truth of what God says about our sin and our relationship with him. Let's look just a little bit deeper. Let's notice the difference between saying and confessing. As one commentator put it, it's easy to say we have sin, but to confess sin requires a contrite heart. And I do not want to steal my brother's thunder. He's going to be speaking on having a heart that is contrite before him, but we must have a brokenness over our sin, brothers and sisters. A heart that is broken over the fact that we have walked in darkness and that it is contrary to the light of a holy God. Again, how might we say it? Well, none of us are perfect, but to confess our sin, God, I know I have sinned against you. I know your word tells me that if I'm angry with someone that I have sinned and murder is in my heart. Lord, please forgive me for my sin. I know that the the words that I said to my coworker were not words of kindness, even though they are difficult to deal with, but Lord, forgive me for that. Confess that sin before you. I had to deal with this, and I'll tell this is no glorious moment for me at all. This past Monday, I had to deal with a very difficult person at the U Haul place. I got very upset. It was not good. My son was there, he saw it. I'm here to tell you. My heart was smitten by what I had done. I asked my son to forgive me. I asked God to forgive me. And I asked the people in the front desk to forgive me because that is not right. It doesn't matter what anyone does to you, it doesn't matter. God is light, and in him is no darkness. If we say we have not sinned, we lie and the truth is not in us. It's a heavy truth, but a beautiful reality of growing closer to God. The more you see and know that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, the more you see the depth and breadth of your sin against him. The contrast of your life against the light of God is vast, incomprehensible, overwhelming, And it can be very overwhelming. But my friends, there is no reason to despair. What does John tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We hold the responsibility to confess, but praise God, he holds the responsibility to forgive And this word cleansing, again, John speaks in the present tense a lot. It's in the present tense, which means you are currently cleansed. You are presently cleansed. If you confess your sins now, you are and will be cleansed. Oh, what a fellowship! What a joy divine seeing the light of God, confessing your sin, cleansing from that sin and restored in deeper fellowship with him. But if we walk in the light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin If we confess our sin before God, if we walk in the light, we will have deep and genuine fellowship with God and others. What are we talking about this week? Seeking, looking unto Jesus. This is what it means to live a life of confession when you're seeking the Lord. But if we do not agree with God's full assessment and viewpoint of our sin, it not only breaks our fellowship with him, but it renders us incapable of fellowship with those around us even those most dear to us, if I am not walking in fellowship with God, and if I am walking in unconfessed sin or not seeing my sin for what it really is, I will not have a relationship with my wife, my children, or any of my friends or people around me. It just won't happen. I've had opportunities to to do some counseling, and it's interesting, in counseling situations, Maybe it's a, a husband or a wife who has sinned against one another in adultery. The one who has been sinned against always seems to be the more self-righteous one. It's baffling to me, but because of the magnitude of the sin, we tend to think we're somehow better than the person who, quote, "committed the sin that's worse." And it's just simply not true. And for order for to have true restoration and true fellowship, there must be a realization that two people are equally sinful before God, no matter what the other one has done. And that's true in our relationships and in, in our friends, the people around us, even as simple as a coworker, no matter what it is. If we say we have no sin, consequently, there will be no fellowship restored with each other. And ultimately the fellowship with the father will suffer Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, has a quote that I just thought was so good about this. He says, true Christian fellowship is tied to proper Christian confession. And where there is false teaching about Christ, there is not true fellowship with God or with those who remain in God. The depth and genuineness of our fellowship with others is an indicator of the depth and genuineness of our fellowship with God. As it pertains to sin, we lie to ourselves too often. But the greatest inhibitor to sin is the truth of God and the heartfelt agreement and confession of that truth. And the only way we have genuine and fruitful fellowship with God and others is if we daily confess our sin before God. Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you don't even see, but you say, God, show me you so that I might see who I am in the light of you. Lord, I know that I am a sinner, but please forgive me. I know there is forgiveness with you. I confess my sin before you. I encourage you, confess your sin specifically. Don't just come generically, but specifically confess your sin to God daily. It puts your heart in a right perspective. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' His son cleanses us from all sin. And then in in verse one of chapter two, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And I think it's important us to note that John in particular here is speaking to believers. Now, Further long, he's going to talk about false teachers in 1 John if you study. And he, he talks about those who fall away. But here, he's talking to the church at Asia Minor and believers. And so I think it's good for us to realize he's talking to us as believers and how we approach God and our relationship with him. And so as we wrap this up here, we've not only seen the message remembered and the means given through confession and seeing things as God sees them. But then there is the miracle accepted. John graciously, like a loving father, reminds us of the gospel. He reminds us that the gospel, he reminds us that the gospel, who God is through his son is ours. My little children. Speaks to him softly, tenderly. I mean, let's face it. He said some pretty harsh things before this. It was bam. Oh, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we see Christ, our motive, It's real simple, Christ is our single greatest motive not to sin. We're not to presume upon his grace. Well, if I sin, I'll just confess and I will be forgiven. No, it's actually the opposite, and to presume is a lie. We know that we have life in Christ who has cleansed us. We see who we are apart from Christ and that motivates our obedience. Without sounding too cliche here, it's not our willpower, it's Christ's cleansing power that motivates us. His love, grace, and mercy is our motivation not to sin. Christ Our motive, and finally, the beautiful picture that he gives us, Christ is our advocate. He's not only our motive, he is our advocate. This legal term that is used, advocate, brings the greatest joy to the believer. We have one who pleads our case before the God of light. He intercedes on our behalf. He does not plead our goodness. No, no. He pleads our case based upon his own merit, that he is Jesus Christ, the righteous, who dealt with our sin once and for all. This is why we can come to him and confess our sin. This is why he is faithful and just to forgive us and not only forgive us, but cleanse us. We must know and understand that God is light and in him is no darkness we must understand that we are by nature sinners. We must admit and agree that because we are sinners, we act upon it and we commit sin. But because Christ has perfectly lived and reflected the light of God the Father, his righteousness is effectual. His blood-wrought work on the cross is fully and completely enough so that when he stands before God, when Christ stands before God our Father on our behalf and advocates for us, our Father sees his righteous blood-wrought work on the cross and says, you are forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise be to God This is a life that seeks Christ through a life of confession. This is why we confess. If God is light, let's think about this. If God is light and in him is no darkness, and if we have walked in darkness, there is no way darkness and light can come together. This impossibility, though, is done away with with Christ. Christ stands in the court of God's justice hall on our behalf and says, he can't, but I can. Christ is the only man who has lived a righteous life, who has lived the light of God, and he can therefore advocate for us. God sees Christ when we confess, not Daniel when he confessed. He sees Christ. My confession is only my admission, but Christ cleansing is the joyous work we stake our lives upon. Oh, friends, what a story this is that we who are fallen sinful men and women can know the forgiveness of Christ and the glorious fellowship with him and his people. What joy we can have that in God's eternal providence, Christ came, Christ died, and now Christ forgives. All of this eternal pleasure and joy is ours in the person of Christ who reveals the light of God. Do you know him? If you don't, then confess now your sin before him and walk in that fellowship he promises. Today is the day of salvation. If you do know him, then let the truth of God shine in your hearts. Reveal more of your sin and confess that before him. Your fellowship with him will be deeper and your joy sweeter your fellowship with his people will be stronger. I promise you it will be. I have known this, I have experienced it and God continues to work it in my life and I can promise you this is true. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear friends, this is what it means to seek Christ through a life of confession. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We come to you now. Your word is difficult at times, and then also it renews us at the same time. And I think that has been the message of John, the story of John is that Christ came, Christ died and Christ forgives. So based upon that reality, may we confess our sin and know the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he alone lived the light of God. He is the face of God. In Christ, we see who God is. Lord, help us to do that
0: as we go from here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we dive into a new session from Passion for Christ 2022. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.